Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Greg Lovelady, head baseball coach here at UCF, and you're watching the Sons of UCF Live. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Trace Froko. Welcome into the Sons of UCF Live this St. Patrick's Day. Hello, Adam and Mike. Adam, is that why the green this week? This is the only time, the only day of the year I can wear this green jacket and not feel any uh, bit of guilt about it. So I had to break it out. It's a, a Hayden Kingston original. I think I still have the Gasparilla Bowl patch on the side there, so... He froze. <laughs> I knew that green jacket was coming out, though. I was expecting it. I would have been disappointed if he wasn't wearing it. And now he's frozen in time and green. So uh, eh, I guess he's going to get away with it for one day. Gotcha. Well, spring practice underway for UCF this week. I want to go to a couple of sound bites. Adam, if you could play uh, the sound bites about quarterbacks right off the top, please. Or not. But the first week, we're going to give all five of them an opportunity to show what they can do. And uh, then we'll kind of narrow it down as we go. And our goal is to have it in some kind of order once we leave spring. The good thing Mikey is just a dog. Like, he just got that in him. Like, he just wants to be the best. He wants the best for, for us. He wants the best for himself. He wants the best for the team. Just, you know, just that leadership and just him going into that leader role has just been a big jump for him. You know, just this, just for practice today, he was encouraging guys, you know, just flying around, just doing his thing. You know, he's, he's really grown a lot. Coordinated. You know, guy, the guy played receiver, for I guess, for the last 18 months or something. Played, uh, I guess, his freshman year, and then in the spring of the next year was a quarterback, and then he went to receiver. So, you know, going from running routes and catching it to throwing it and all the fundamentals that go with it, uh, he's got some work to do. But what I really like is the way the ball comes out of his hand. Another guy that's intelligent and really eager to learn. Chip Lindsay, offensive coordinator on John Rice Plumley, And today, Sam Jackson, who's back for his sixth spring and is putting in some practice at center, he commented on – Freshman quarterback Thomas Castellano saying he's a playmaker. He does a really good job. I think his coach will tell you he's in the playbook and trying to take in as much as he can. Uh, varied comments on the quarterbacks. Quarterback controversy. Can we get that going this Thursday, guys? I mean, I think it's already going. The first thing I love is that Chip Lindsey acts like he has no clue what John Rice Plumley did in his college career. I think that's fantastic. I think he was a receiver. He might have been quarterback. I don't know. Uh, I, I love that. I mean, you're hearing th- uh, good things about all these guys, right? You heard some good things about Castellanos on day one of practice. Obviously, you heard Ryan O'Keefe glowing about Mikey Keene. 
Uh, and and we know that John Rice Plumlee is going to be a playmaker. So I think you're going to continue to hear these three guys throughout spring ball. I got to think that Mikey Keene has the upper hand right now, just knowing the playbook, having some experience. But I, I think it's going to be an open race. And I've been sort of, you know, kind of easily floating out there. Castellanos, don't don't count him out. Um, and you're hearing some good things about him. So uh, I think it'll be a fun spring. Hopefully we'll get some clarity by the end, but I highly doubt it. It's a three-horse race right now. And every day, whoever has the best day is going to put their nose in front, take a little lead. But this is going to be back and forth all spring. And then just wait until – I'm not sure how you pronounce the kid's name. Widner, Widener, David, the kid from Coco. I've told you, I've seen him play. That kid can play too. He reminds me of Bortles. He came in, and maybe you don't expect him to be a starter right away. He's a big kid. He can throw the ball. Yeah, we got a, a good quarterback room on our hands. I like what I'm seeing so far of these guys. On uh, my Twitter, at SignPez, I asked this week, how many different quarterbacks start a game for the Knights in 2022? 75% of people said two different quarterbacks. Some said three, a smattering on one, and just 3% on uh, four. I, I still find it hard to believe that a true freshman is going to unseat Mikey Keene, but you guys have talked about it on your show a little deja vu, right, from just a couple of years ago when Dylan Gabriel came in. First out, shout out to you people who voted for. You clearly just love some chaos, and I'm here for it. <laughs> but, look, I think Gus is going to play the quarterback that makes it, makes his offense run the best, right? I think there were some things he did last year to make Mikey Keene comfortable. We definitely saw some different offense when Dylan Gabriel was there versus Mikey Keene. Um, he recruited Thomas Castellanos. He knows his skill set. Obviously, Gus recognizes that fits what he wants to do. I'm not saying that gives him a leg up, but I am saying that he certainly has the skills that Gus is looking for. I would, I believe you too, Trace. I, I'm probably in that same camp. Um, you would think that a, uh, you know, uh, I guess a junior in John Rice Plumley and a sophomore with a basically year of experience under his belt, Mikey Keene, would have the upper hand. But um, you, you never know, man. I mean, this this kid could be electric, and I think Gus obviously likes him for a reason. So. I say never say never, but it does it does seem like a long shot, though. Yeah, ideally, you would only have one quarterback start every single game, right? That means, one, he's healthy, and two, he's playing well, right? There's no need to switch to a different guy. Two, I guess you can see because there's always that injury thing that's happened, and we've been plagued by it the last few years, even when we've had star quarterbacks, Mackenzie Milton, Dylan Gabriel. We've had to go to different guys. So that's, a, that's why most people are probably voting, too. If we're going to three and four, that means there's been injuries or something's going really wrong in that quarterback room. So let's hope for one. That's right. A couple of mailbag questions I want to pull out now at armored underscore up. Was Chip Lindsay being critical of John Rice Plumley when he said he needs to work on his fundamentals? I don't think that's critical. I think that's what we've heard, right? I didn't view it as critical. He praised him as well. Yeah, it seems like coach speak. I think every coach says we gotta, you know, get our eyes in the right spot, work on our fundamentals. And he just referenced obviously he'd he'd taken some time off of playing quarterback. So I didn't take that as a knock more so as just a coaching point. Um and probably overall just coach speak. You gotta do the compliment sandwich. You give them something good, then you tell them something that they're doing bad, and then you tell them something that they're going doing good. And you know, if you say everything is doing great, then you know, the, the guys kind of maybe slack up a little bit. So you gotta give them a little uh Thing to strive to get a little bit better each practice. So I, I wouldn't take anything out of what the coaches are saying. And from some pictures we've seen of Mikey Keene, you certainly see that he's hit the weight room in the off season and having John Rice Plumley there, no doubt drives him. That's right. Competition, right? That drives you. And uh, that's going to push Mikey to uh, work on areas that, uh, you know, maybe he wasn't as up to his standards or coaches standards uh, during his freshman campaign. 
Yeah, again, I, to my money, I mean, he, it's his job until someone can beat him out for it, right? Or until he loses it if he does something. But it's his job till he can beat it out. I think the way that Ryan O'Keefe talks about him tells you how much those guys in the locker room rallied behind him last year, how much they, they rallied behind him again. Mike and I had a chance to talk to Josh McMullen, and he literally almost teared up talking about the job Mikey, Kid, Mikey Keene did stepping in last year. So you got to think Keene has the upper hand right now. Uh, but I get the excitement of, of the new guys, right? The new guys, the guys you haven't seen, you know, the, the flash of the runs that you've seen out of, out of JRP and, you know, the promise of Thomas Castellanos. I can see why that would be something that would be attractive. But again, I think Mikey Keene has the respect of the guys in the locker room. And I don't think that's something we should discount. I think that when you think about a veteran offensive line, a veteran team, you know, I think it, there will be some guys in there who are certainly pulling for Mikey Keene. And I think Gus will probably take that into account. The thing I like that O'Keefe said is Keene's being more vocal now. It's, he's taking it like it's his team. Remember last year, he's a true freshman, probably coming into the year, didn't expect to play at all, right? Dylan Gabriel, you figure, was going to be the quarterback for one, maybe even two more years. And all of a sudden, he's thrust into a starting role halfway through the season. And now he's got that whole season under his belt. He's got the offseason now. He's got Now he's got to step up into that leadership role, take that next step. Uh, I, I think he's going to do it, man. I, I'm Team King Kong until proven otherwise. We heard from coaches saying that the, almost every quarterback's getting an equal number of snaps. Mikey coming out this week, the first uh, to get those snaps. At Spursy Knight says, how do you rank the quarterbacks in this competition for QB1, and who do you think gets the job? I think it's Mikey's right now, and I think he'll be pushed by John Rice Plumley. and I still find it hard to believe that Thomas Castellanos starts game one. Yeah, I guess I would go Keen, Plumley, Castellanos, Navarro, Widner, and then Gatewood. <laughs> well, look, Gabriel, even the year when he started as a freshman, he didn't start game one, right? You gave it to the veteran guy to start and give him a chance, and that's what's going to happen here unless there's some kind of injuries. Or Castellanos just blows these guys out of the water for the rest of spring and then going into fall. If that's the case and we have a superstar in our hands, then, I mean, there's no holding back. Just put him in there, but let's see if that's the case. What did you think of Coach Malzahn and his media availability earlier in the week saying that last spring, you know, they came in late. They were doing four practices a week. He's paired that back to be three with a day of rest, but more importantly, a day of teaching in between each of those practice sessions. Yeah, I got the sense all last year that Malzahn and that staff were just off their schedule. You know, he made a comment a few times about playing weekday games and how he wasn't used to that. Obviously, the entire spring was just upside down when he got hired and we got a staff. So it almost felt like all last year he was getting comfortable with the schedule, was getting comfortable with kind of where he was at. Then he goes through a leg injuries on a tree stand for, for, you know, flipping three weeks. I think he's just getting back to what he's used to, getting back to the basics of how he wants to coach. So I think he's essentially kind of got the training wheels off. He went under, he went through year one he went through his freshman season at his ups and downs i think he's getting more comfortable in how he wants to lead this team too and he's got more say in it versus last year when it kind of got thrust upon him in the end remember last year he showed up in january right he had no idea who these guys were on his roster he had to evaluate these guys he needed that extra day of practice per week just for that now he knows what he's got on his on his team he can take it a little bit slower install a little bit more kind of more of a teaching period this year i like it i and i like that he's able to adjust into two different things. And Trace, I wonder how much Chip Lindsay helps in this in this process too. Last year, GJ Kinney was his offensive coordinator. They had not worked together in a long time. I think they they he was player coach the last time they were together. He's worked with Chip Lindsay before. They they know each other really well. He's a veteran coach. I wonder having more of more of a quote unquote veteran staff on that offensive side, having that kind of go to person that he's comfortable with. I wonder how much that helps out too overall. 
And in Lindsay, you have someone with head coaching experience that comes into this position. We've worked together, what, three times? And there is a yeah. comfortability in that. You know, Coach Malzahn talked about arriving and not even knowing all of the players' names. Fast forward a year, he knows the players, right? He knows what he's seen from them during the season. Imagine being him. Everything's coming at you really fast. And this is a veteran coach. There was a lot of upheaval, right? We You just mentioned some of it. The tree stand, right? All that went on with his wife, uh, you know, towards the end of the year. The injuries on the team throughout the season. And, uh, you know, that's a lot of disruption. How much better might we see from Coach Malzahn if it's a more normal year for him? Well, let's not forget this, and I'll throw this out here. I'll, I'll be the one to say it. I think the offense we saw early on, Gus adapted to fit what Dylan Gabriel did best. I don't think that's the traditional system that Gus wants to run. I think he recognized he had an all-world quarterback, somebody that he had to keep happy, somebody that he knew had a lot of talent. And I think Gus tried to figure out a way to make the offense fit what Dylan was doing best, right? Then Dylan gets hurt. He's got to throw it all at the window, true freshman, you know, and we know the rest of the story. I wonder if he has a full year now with his playbook, with guys who fit his mold what kind of wrinkles will he throw in how much more will we see out of that because as much as dylan gabriel was a, was a good quarterback here we all know that gus had to make that offense work for what dylan did best so i'm curious to see now that he doesn't have that you know quote-unquote worry about the offense how does he unleash this and how does it look in the future gus is a pro right and he proved that last year he's all that adversity that came his way he didn't flinch even that first game against boise we go down 21 nothing early in the game he doesn't flinch he has his game plan, sticks to the game plan. He did the same thing all season long. Every injury that hit him, hey, he's got to roll with it. And then we saw the team get better as the year went on. Uh, I, if he has a season this year without all those things happening, look out. I think this, we're going to be in for a good one. And specifically a quarterback, what do you think that means that we will see more of in a Gus Malzahn offense, especially, say, if Mikey can pick up on what Gus is teaching him? Well, that's where Mikey, his skill set's a little interesting compared to Plumlee and to Castellanos, because I think Gus wants the quarterback to be a little bit more mobile, be a bigger threat in the run game. We Either A, Mikey just wasn't comfortable doing that last year, or B, Gus wasn't comfortable letting Mikey do that last year. We saw that a little bit in, in spurts towards the end of the season, but that's where the skill set of Plumlee and Castellanos may fit a little bit better. So I think Gus wants the quarterback to be a running threat, right, to give that defense another person they have to keep an eye on. I think he wants to pound the football with, with big guys like Bowser, um, um, and so I think that's the, you know, that's kind of the, the genesis. And then, you know, that opens up the passing game, that opens up the middle, that opens up something from a play action standpoint. So I think it all starts with the quarterback having that dual threat ability. Didn't have that with Dylan Gabriel, although we saw him make a, you know, a, a crazy touchdown run. And we didn't see a lot of Mikey Keene. So I think that's probably the, the biggest wrinkle you may see out of Gus is using the wheels of the quarterback. Yeah. And we saw last year, Gus is not afraid to bring in a second quarterback, right? Even if it's just for a series here or, uh, he brought in Gatewood a few times, and then he had Navarro down by the goal line late in the year. So he's, he knows what he's doing, how to work these things in. Personally, I'd rather just have one guy. And if you have, if you have a guy that can throw and run, that works best. It keeps the defense on its heels best. But I, I trust Gus knows when to use uh, to bring in a different quarterback when he needs it. And, and yeah, just crazy. saw the comment. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing, too, I'd love to see Malzahn. I think there were times last year where offensively, he almost outsmarted himself, right? Third and one, let's not hand it off to Bowser. Let's throw some sort of like wacky, you know, behind the back screen pass that ends up getting just chewed up for yards. I don't know if he did that because he didn't think he had the play call, didn't think he had the tools and resources, but let's not outsmart ourselves. Let's just make the, the smart play this year. I like the trick play as much as anybody else, but, you know, uh, the jump pass from Gatewood and the Gasparilla Bowl took like three years off my life. <laughs> well, you saw the comment there. Think uh, fast luck style says the quarterback situation is better now than a year ago. Do you agree? Hmm. 
Hmm. It's probably deeper. Right? A year ago it was probably, Dylan. It's deeper than it was last year for sure because we only had Dylan and we didn't really quite know what was behind him there. So it's definitely deeper. There's more depth from that standpoint. There's more guys who you know can can play now. You've seen Keen play. You've seen Plumley play. You, you think you have somebody good in Castellano. So it's probably deeper in the sense that if something happens to one of these other guys, you have uh, maybe more more hope or more faith in the guys behind him. Right. Going into the season, I was more comfortable last year knowing Dylan Gabriel was the quarterback. But what Adam said is completely right. After him, and we didn't expect it to happen, but it happened. And after him, we didn't know who we had behind him. Now we have a little bit better idea. Spring practice continues Saturday. Of course, the spring game, about a month away, April 16th. Today, women's basketball flew out of Orlando, landed in Connecticut. They've already gotten a practice in this Thursday afternoon. Let's talk about the women in the NCAA tournament with our guy running for mayor of the city of Orlando. He is BJ Taylor. BJ, how's the campaign going? Oh, no. So that was a great introduction right there. I'm glad we're able to start this movement, um, get that out there. So, yeah, this is this is, might just happen. All right. We can get enough. We can get enough momentum going, get the people behind me. Right. My first sort of, you know, thing to do as mayor will be to lower gas prices. So everybody, <laughs> I'm your guy, Mayor Taylor. I won't ask you how you're going to do that. We'll just ask, though, that the UCF women are uh, seven seed against uh, ten seeded Florida. What do you like about this matchup, seven uh, ten on Saturday in Connecticut? Well, first off, you've got to love the Florida on Florida battle again, right? The same thing we had with the bowl game in football, where we had the Gators versus the Knights. You know, we have the same thing here in basketball. So not only are they playing for an opportunity to go to the round of 32, but they're also competing for those Florida, those Florida bragging rights, right? And that means a lot. So I think it's a great opportunity for the women. Obviously, they're going to represent UCF extremely well as they have the entire season. Um, but yeah, for me, you know, I, I'm really excited so they can get these these Florida bragging rights and and say that they run the state. BJ, obviously, we know that um, you, know, you guys are used to playing tournaments. That's what you do. But the NCAA tournament is a whole different ball of wax. How is it different? How are the emotions different? How is the schedule different? What kind of advice would you give to uh, Coach Abe and the team if they're asking you how they should prepare for this upcoming tournament? Yeah, so for, for the women's team, I mean, they go through the exact same thing that men's teams do often during March Madness. But usually it's, it's it, the biggest thing you have to adjust to is sort of the there's more press. There, there's going to be more off the court obligations. There's going to be promos. Um, there's just going to be a little bit more hype around it. And obviously it's the you know, it's your biggest game of the season that you have coming up. So it's just one of those things where you have to kind of continue to try to keep the main thing, the main thing, and that's winning the basketball game. But there's so many other obligations. The ticket situation for family and friends are different. And, and you also have to fight against, you know, the the all the new sort of friends and people that are reaching out to you that probably, you know, weren't talking to you when you won a, you know, a January conference game. Now there's, you know, your cousin from Texas all of a sudden who's, Saying, oh man, I, I've been watching all season. I'm, you know, I mean, yeah, like, no, you haven't. But you know, you just have way more distractions. But I know Coach Abe. I know that staff, and I know that they're gonna be they're gonna be ready to play. Obviously, we all know Diamond Battle superstar on the team. She's been the, the star player for a couple of years. Player of the year in the conference this year. Defensive player of the year in the conference. But obviously, the Gators know this too. So if they're gonna try to lock her down, who else is gonna have to step up their game a little bit if we're gonna get past this first round? 
yeah, you're gonna have to lean on on the veterans, right? You're gonna have to lean on Masini Kaba to obviously, you know, handle the paint down low as she's done the entire season. But to sort of, you know, take your question and, and flip it a little bit, the hard thing about controlling a player like Diamond is that she affects the game so much defensively that she puts that pressure on the ball. She's going to make it hectic for Florida's offense, for their guards to to get into their offensive sets, right? So when she's applying that pressure, she's able to create a lot of steals and get out on the fast break. So with a player like her who's so good in transition, often, you know, it's hard to kind of contain them because they can get their offense going from their defense compared to players who, you know, it's just solely predicated on offensive end of the floor where you have to run certain sets for her, you have to get her the ball because she's not going to create a lot of offense. But for her, it, it, it's difficult because she can she can get steals. She's great at pushing it on the break, and she gets up in the other team's you know best ball handlers, and it's just a, and just as you know a dog the entire night. So I think for her, you know, this team has been good the entire season, the whole team. But for 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 her personally, I think she's going to be successful in this tournament just because she can get it on the defensive end, create that havoc. Speaking of Diamond, let's hear from her on how she feels about the Knights, the 24th-ranked Knights, being a 7th seed against the 10th seeded Gators. I mean, it means we earned a little bit of respect. They know teams, you know, respect us a little bit. And then, you know, put our name out there, just winning the conference, letting teams know who we are. We got our rank in, but we're not done yet. So that kind of gave us that extra little push. And they got to get by the Gators. And the NCAA bracket did them no favors. Win, and you're likely playing UConn. Yeah, and I'm I'm personally upset about that. I don't understand how that happens. I don't really I don't I don't really get the UConn has been in the conference in the American with UCF for the past six years, and now you make the NCAA tournament. And if you are you know lucky enough to advance, you get you know Gino Oriema Gino Oriema and UConn again. So I, I felt like that was kind of you know weird by the committee for them to do that. Um, I still give our girls, you know, a, a great chance to go out there and, and, and knock them off in, in the NCAA tournament. They've never met in the NCAA tournament, obviously. But I just if, if I was, you know, if, if I was one of the coaches, or if I was on the committee, I, I would definitely have to, you know, file a complaint. Like, wow, how does this happen? You know, how do we land on the same side with UConn again when there's 64 other teams that we could play? It's, it's, it's a weird it's a weird sort of scenario, if you ask me. But they have to play who they have to play. And, and I'm, I, you know, I still give them a fighting chance. They're my favorite to beat UConn. As a mayor of Orlando, after you're done dealing with gas prices, will you yeah. be able to do anything about this? Well, I have a long list of things <laughs> I have first. Like I have I have bulletin points, right? The lowering gas prices <laughs> is number one, and then there's, you know there's a laundry list of things. But I'll certainly have one of my you know my my sort of workers you know reach out to the committee you know and say, hey, BJ would like to have a Zoom with you and you know give you a piece of his mind. So it'll get there. It'll happen. Just it's not going to happen soon, but it'll 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 happen eventually. Let's shift to talk about the men. I don't know if you saw this this afternoon. Forward Ed Xavier Rhodes has announced that he's entering the transfer portal. That's one less guy for men's basketball going into the season. But let's wrap up. Uh, the Knights bow out against Memphis. Uh, always Memphis, it seems, right, in the AAC tournament. 18-12 and 12 overall. How do you summarize this season of uh, missed expectations? Oh, well, so to, to initially answer your question, we kind of had the, the delay again. But um, in terms of the expectations, I think that's the key word, right, Trace? I think that's the buzzword is, is whatever your expectations were kind of decides whether or not you felt this season, 
you know, was was less than successful, whether it was right on par with what you thought or whether this team, you know, if some people may feel like this team overachieved. Right. So for me, th this this sort of was right where I would have placed it. Right. I, I throughout the entire season, you know, I, I've always had faith in the guys. I've always had belief in what they could do. Um, that's probably just being a UCF guy myself. But I never um, got on the, the wagon with the this is the most talented basketball team UCF has ever had or those sort of things. I, I, I personally never felt that way. I felt like this team had guys and they had an opportunity to do something successful if everybody was on the right page. Um, but I, I never fell into the camp of, yeah, this this team has, you know, this, 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 and this, and everything is just going to be incredible. I felt like they were really going to have to come together and, and be a team to sort of overachieve to make a tournament run, in my opinion, honestly. Well, BJ, one of the things that did happen this season is we saw the emergence of Darius Johnson become a true point guard, handle the ball, play pretty good defense at times. And so if you think about things that did you know, go well this year, we now saw him mature into that leader. And it's going to be his team next year, right? Darius Perry's graduating. He's going to have the ball in his hands. What do you want to see him improve on, though, as he goes into his sophomore year? Where do you want him spending his time this summer getting his game better? Yeah, so first of all, he shot the ball, you know, solidly there towards the end of the season. He he struggled a little bit to start. You know, I think he was shooting in the 20s from three-point range. So you want to see a guy that's your point guard and is going to play, you know, significant minutes, be shooting the ball in the mid-30s from the three, you know, going going up closer to even 40% if you're an exceptional shooter, right? You want to see that on the court. Um, you want to see him take control of the team more on the floor, be a guy who is the leader, who is the rock. And as a freshman, that's hard to do just because when you're playing with seniors, you, it's hard to sort of garner that respect from them, regardless of how good you are. I mean, even if you're Chet Holmgren, Chet Holmgren isn't the leader of Gonzaga basketball. He's just their best player. And, and for, for Darius, I think the third part and sort of the third component is the off the court leadership being the guy who sets the tone for accountability for what we're going to be about as a team next year those are the sort of things that being the point guard and, and being that guy you're going to have to take that on and that responsibility and, and that can be even more challenging than than the than playing on the court because there's so many different aspects of you know being the leader and being the guy, I mean, you're sort of the quarterback of the basketball team, and, it, and it's, it's a similar responsibility. There's way more than just being able to shoot, pass, dribble. If you're going to be someone who's going to be the voice for Coach Dawkins and going to be that guy in the locker room, you have to be willing to take on that responsibility and hold yourself to a very high standard. So it'll be very interesting to see how Darius, you know, kind of comes into that role next season. Um, I, I have the utmost belief in him and obviously, you know, respect for him. And he comes from a great family with his father. So, you know, I, I know I'll be in his ear because I'm, you know, he talks to me often. So I'm excited, you know, for Darius's future. We know the guys that are gone, yeah, guys that are graduating, Mayhan, Perry, Mbake. Uh, Trace just mentioned uh, Rose is transferring. Put yourself in Johnny's shoes. If you had to rank it, what, where do we have to address the transfer portal? What, what position are we targeting first in your mind for next season? Yeah, so you're going to have to address the center, I, I think. I know there's a, there's a recruit coming in. There's a couple of twins coming in from down south. One of them is a bigger guy. But you're, you're going to have to have some beef inside without Mbake. And obviously Mbake was the most consistent player for, for the Knights this season. So you're going to have to get a center. And, and you're probably going to want someone else that's a, a combo sort of guard to complement both Darren and Darius you know, a sort of a sort of tweener guy that can play the two 
that, that that's a, a defender, shooter, score, anything along that those lines. That that's sort of a hybrid player, so that he can sort of relieve the pressure for Darius when it comes to ball handling if he needs it. And you also want someone to complement Darren's shooting because you're going to lose you're going to lose Perry and you're going to lose Mayhan. So you're going to you know you sort of want to address those things, and, and you just really want to find guys, Mike, that that fit well within the culture, right? For this UCF basketball team moving forward, you know the, the culture has to get back to being tough, physical defensive minded right that that's what UCF basketball was when it was its most successful you know obviously during our years and that's the sort of culture that has been cultivated by our staff right and those are the kind of guys that you know the program is going to look for moving forward guys that fit that mold during that 85-69 loss to Memphis the Knights got back Brandon Mann but he was limited they were without Isaiah Adams I asked coach Dawkins after the game if the impact of having that shorter bench played a role against Memphis, let's listen to him. Uh, you know, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not an excuse guy. Uh, I thought we had enough. Our guys have big hearts. They love to compete. Uh, we would like to have had more of our players, you know, available. Absolutely. Unfortunately, that's just not the way it is in our sport. Uh, but our guys gave us everything they had. And I'm just really proud of them. You know, it's two point ball game, you know, with probably 16 or so minutes to go in the, in the second half, uh, playing against a team that's as hot as probably any team, not just in our conference, but in, our, in the country, as far as I'm concerned, from what I've seen. And I thought our guys gave a great effort. BJ, let's wrap up with this. It's a question in our mailbag from at three night seven, and you touched a little bit on some things that you thought, but the question is, what are the improvements or changes that need to happen to make men's basketball better next season? This seems like a rebuilding season, doesn't it now? Yeah, well, like I said, the main things are you have to get back to what the culture was about and what the culture will be about moving forward, right? Toughness, physicality, maturity, discipline, those are the sort of things that this program, when it was at its most successful, was about, right? And if you look at Houston, that's what Houston's basketball team has been about this entire season. Houston does not have the most talent in the world. They're not overly, you know, skilled or anything, but they're tough, they're physical, and they're mature. And that's what this UCF basketball team really, you know, needs to get back to. And you have to have a leader in the locker room, as I've said on the show countless times throughout the season. You need somebody who's relaying Coach Dawkins' message because his message is not going to change. I mean, he's he's been doing this for a long time. And, I mean, honestly, he's had a lot of success with doing this. So it's not going to change. And you're going to have to find guys who are willing to relay that message and it's going to happen it's going to happen i have the utmost belief in in this program and this team moving forward um mike don't jump off the cliff um i know adam and trace are trying to you know keep you you know keep you rolling with with the, with the program but mike stay off the cliff brother if it, if it ever comes that close just shoot me a call and, and we'll talk about it all right I'll, have you, I'll bring you down to city hall we can have lunch okay <laughs> anything you need I appreciate it, man. I'll be. I'll call you. Don't worry. There we go. We get. We get down to City Hall, grab some lunch, um, anything like that. I'm. I got. I'm. I'm an ambassador for Bole now. So if you guys know about Bole, eat okay. great food. You know, it, it's really great for the body. It, it truly is. A lot of the UCF athletes eat there. Gabe Davis, Mackenzie Milton. Um, the, the list goes on. So I mean, it, it's really great food. But Mike, if you want to grab lunch one day reach out. I don't want you to feel, you know, distant. All right. I don't want you to feel like things are all doom and gloom. It's going to be all right, brother. It's going to be all right. <laughs> all right. Let's hope the women come out all right on Saturday yes. and then I'll be in a good mood. Okay. Well, Hey, listen, listen, just either way, just let me know you'll be all right. Okay. I don't want to be <laughs> contingent on the outcome of the game. Just let me know that you're going to be all right. brother. 
Hey, BJ, are you a are you a bracket guy? Do you fill out a bracket? So yes, yeah, so I, I filled out a bracket this year. Um, I mean, I usually do something just to mess around, but I'm I'm gonna be in full disclosure. My brackets are always horrible. Like yeah. they, they yeah they just, <laughs> they just go to they just go to crap like right away, Adam. For some yeah. reason, I have a hard time picking like against who I want to win in those scenarios. Whenever I'm filling out a bracket, I do like a five minute bracket, and I think like. Man, I, I'd rather go to I would have rather gone to TCU than Indiana. Let me go with TCU for this. You know what I mean? It's it's a little different. So my bracket's already going to crap. I got friends that never played basketball beating me in the bracket. So it's all right. I, I'm not great at everything. Okay, I'm not great okay. at everything. I, Trace knows this because we you know we've discussed it. But my my sort of obligations as mayor have sort of you know hmm. a lot of my time. So I haven't had a lot of time to get into the bracket. Yet. Did uh, Mike offer his full support for your candidacy? No, no, he did not. And I, I wasn't. Did. I did. <laughs> yeah, Trace did, and Adam did as well. I'm not going to take that personally, and I wasn't <laughs> even going to bring it up tonight. But it's okay, Mike. I understand where you are on the campaign. You need to hear a little bit more about what I can do for you personally, mm. and we'll get there. All right, this is the beginning stages. All right, it's just the beginning thing. That's right. I want to hear the whole platform. I I got the gas prices. Are you going to get rid of student debt and all that stuff too? I, I don't know about the student loan debt. All right. I was on scholarship, <laughs> so I can't relate to student loan debt, but hey, I got a lot of friends who who got who have the, you know, student loan debt. I get it. All right. I'm uniting the people again. That's my campaign. I'm you bringing the people together and we're going to rally around sports. We lower gas prices. We we go out, we have we have we have a beer and watch a game and and that's going to get the people behind me, right? I'm I'm on the ground in the trenches sort of campaign, right? I'm going to be one with the people. BJ Taylor, the name you know. I can count on him. So yeah. uh, this is this is these are the kind of people, Dan. I appreciate you. We'll we'll find a spot for you somewhere, treasurer, secretary, something. We'll get you in there, brother. I promise. We'll get you in there. Uh, BJ Taylor, you've been a great addition to the Sons of UCF Live this basketball season. We appreciate you joining us every week, bringing the humor and launching that mayoral campaign with us. Well, thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's it's been a lot of fun. I'm available, you know, pretty much every Thursday evening to do this. So if you ever, if you ever want to come on and talk, you know, football or anything, you know, just, just have me on. I'll, I'll talk. I won't talk football mostly, but I can bring something. All right. I can bring some sort of, you know, commentary. All right. We will take you up on that. BJ Taylor, right. thanks for joining us this evening. Enjoy All March right. Madness and go women in the NCAA tournament. Yep. Enjoy your Thursday, guys. Have a good night. Thanks, Thank you, BJ. Thanks, All right, Mike, be honest. Does, do you feel better about men's basketball after you hear from BJ? I know by the time you get to recording the podcast, you get a little down again. feel better. No, I don't feel any better. The tournament is going on right now. There's like 100 games today. There's 100 games tomorrow. We're not playing in any of them. So, no, I don't feel better. I, I want to be – you know what would make me feel better? If we had a, a 10 o'clock tip tomorrow night and I'd have all day tomorrow to be pumped up for it just like we did a few years ago. But, no, I, I, I don't feel better until I see the team get better. All right. Well, maybe baseball will make you feel better. Uh, now 12 and five, they beat Miami 10 to five on Wednesday. Got a series with UNC Greensboro, some big two out hits in this one. Let's bring in our guy, Stephen Branca, former UCF baseball player on the color commentary this season on ESPN plus. That's a big midweek win over Miami. Isn't it Stephen? Yeah, it's a huge win, especially, I mean, coach Lovelady being from Miami, playing at Miami, coaching at Miami, like that's, I mean, that's his, 
That's his win of the year. Like that, there's nobody he wants to beat more than Miami every time they play. Huge win against a really good team. I mean, they had like five guys in their order hitting over 300. Uh, the arms that they threw out there. I mean, they threw a guy, Jake Garland, who was pitching on the weekend for him at one point. So one of their better arms came at him. And, uh, you know, to beat him the way that they did was the most surprising thing. It was the most, uh, I mean, it, Coach Lovelady couldn't ask for a better win from those guys. I mean, at one point, I mean, it was 10 to 1 or whatever it was before the Grand Slam in the ninth. So, I mean, it was or it was, it was pretty out of hand. Steven, as a, as a player, do you get up differently for your opponent? Obviously, we we saw a couple of clunkers over the weekend against UNF, right? And then you, you come out and you're just on fire against Miami. Does, does the opponent, does the other team in the other dugout kind of get you juiced up as a player? All the time. And that's, that's what you have to, as a player and as a coaching staff, that's what you have to focus on sometimes is it doesn't matter who's in the other dugout. It matters what we have in our dugout and what we're trying to accomplish and what we're trying to execute. And it's really hard sometimes to get up against some of these teams that you feel like you should beat on a regular basis. And then they come out and they sneak up on you. I mean, UNF beat that team down game one of the doubleheader on Friday. I mean, in every aspect of the game, UCF didn't play good defense. They didn't hit, they didn't pitch, but they bounced back. They won the next game. Uh, and then like you saw a huge win against Miami. Uh, they got to stop playing down to their, their competition's level. They got to play, at their level, every game, and and stop sinking into that, you know, looking in the other dugout and, and sinking down to their level. A little bit of the same situation this week. UNC Greensboro over the weekend, but then two games against Florida State next week. Any chance that Lovelady, since there's two games midweek, maybe switches up the uh, pitching rotation, saves some of the big horses for a Tuesday and Wednesday at Florida State? You know, I – Maybe you, you might see a guy like Connor Stain on the second game there uh, against Florida State. He's getting moved to the Friday spot from what I've heard. Uh, I, I saw some some stats and whatnot that they were throwing around on the papers in the in the booth, and it looks like they're going to switch Stain and Litchfield Friday and Saturday. And so depending on how many innings Stain goes, he might be available to close out a game on Wednesday, say it's a close game and they need somebody. Um but ultimately, you're getting your pitching rotation set up for conference. That's what really matters the most is you win, you win conference, you're going to be in the postseason, right? So they're trying to win conference, and they got that coming up. Before you know it, it's going to be here. You know, the beginning of April, they're they're playing conference. So, you know, they're, they're, they've done it in the past where they'll throw one of their horses in these midweek games against Florida, Florida State, or whoever it happens to be. I don't see that happening uh, unless it's a spot place uh, out of the bullpen late in the game when they, re they really need somebody to shut it down. I was going to ask you about the weekend rotation, so it seems like you're breaking a little bit of news with us on the Sons of UCF Live. Why do you think the move? Connor Stain has been unbelievable this season. You think a little lo a loss of confidence in David Litchfield, or you think maybe there's a little too much pressure being the Friday starter for him? You know, I, I don't know if it's the pressure. I think Connor Stain has just done what he needed to do to be the Friday guy. I think uh, going into the year, the way the three guys on the weekend had pitched throughout the fall and early spring, Coach Lovelady talked about them being Friday night guys, all three of them. And so, you know, he gave the nod to the senior in that stance. And, I mean, nobody could blame him. His first outing, he came out and he pitched really well. And, you know, he, he had a couple of good outings and whatnot. But, uh, the way Connor Stain is pitched, I mean, he's back-to-back -back pitcher of the week or whatnot. I mean, like, it's the guy is ridiculous when he's on the mound. Um, I think it's just, hey, this guy is in a better position. It also could be 
you know, Litchfield hasn't pitched as a starter since this, this year is really when it first happened for him. And so it could be to get him an extra day of rest so he could kind of catch up because he's not used to going as deep as he has been in games. Uh, maybe that extra day of rest uh, will help him out coming up uh, this weekend. Jeffrey Pena has been a machine this year. He leads the team in hits, leads the team in total bases. What have you seen from him so far? What do you think is attributing to that early season success for Jeffrey? He's filled out a ton. I remember when I first came into the program a couple years ago, he was about 165 pounds. You look at him now, he's a solid 195. He came into the fall at like 205. Um, He just put on a ton of weight, and it's really, really good weight. He's always had the frame for it. And the best part is, is his speed hasn't left as he put that weight on. Um, He did one of the more impressive things I've seen all year last night with the ball that he hit to center field. He hit a ball that was probably about 10 feet off the ground, about 375 feet to center field. That just went right over the center fielder's head. He had no chance at it. Like it was an absolute rocket. The power that he's added to his bat. We were all, we were all shocked that he didn't get drafted last year. I mean, he stole like 27, 30 bags, whatever it was last year. He hit well over 300. Um, and, you know, he has all of the tools that pro scouts were looking at. So it was kind of a shock when he didn't get drafted. And I think he took it personal. And uh, he, he definitely put some work in, in the weight room. And he's, he's a, he is a man amongst boys at this point. I think you're doing a great job on the calls there with Mark Daniels. I know he is the play-by-play guy. So when somebody goes deep, it's his call. But any chance we get you maybe to chime in at the end, maybe we give you a saying a week, kind of do a little John Sterling, uh, add a little flair to these calls? Hey, I, I'm always down for it. You know, I, I'll call it any way that they let me call it. You know, it, it's funny because I've worked with three different play-by-play guys so far this year, and they're all different. You know, and, and with Mark, a lot of times we're doing a simulcast where we have the radio going and TV going at the same time. So, you know, he's filling in a whole lot more than he would if it was just TV. He wouldn't be having to say, and, you know, hey, it, and the 2-0 pitch and, you know, whatnot. So there's not a, lo- a lot of time that I'm filling in at that point, which is fine. I'll take a back seat. I just fill in here and there and, you know, try to predict the future every now and then. But, you know, it, it, it's funny that y- if you guys want some sayings that you want thrown in there, I'll see what I can yes. do. I got, pe- I got people <laughs> texting me all the time. They're like, hey, will you drop one of these in there right now? And will you, you know, hey, I need this saying in there. I need this. I had the the former equipment manager for, for UCF text me the other day during a game, and he was like, hey, I need you to drop a meow right now. And I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> like that's that's pretty tough right there. And then all of a sudden, new pitcher comes in, and I'm like, man, he needs to really shut him down right now, and, you know, we got to get going here. And, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I really don't think anybody caught it. I mean, it was probably like game two that I did it, which is probably a little gutsy, but like, you know, I am who I am. And, uh, but it, it got thrown in there and, you know, the trainer has reached out to me like, Hey, you know, I need a, I need a never a doubt because that's a, that's a saying he used to say all the time whenever an outfielder would be running around like he was Ray Charles out there and couldn't figure out where the ball was going. And so, you know, but he'd end up making the play. So he's like, Oh yeah, never in doubt. And so, I, you know, I'll throw one of those in there every now and then for them. And, you know, it's just the text message you get afterwards. It's hilarious. But, you know, we have fun with it, man. It's a lot of fun. Let's wrap up with this. Uh, what is the impact of uh, losing Nick Romano to a, a season-ending knee injury? Man, I'll tell you what. If it was last year, it wouldn't have had zero. it would have had zero impact. And so, you know, he was as cold as it gets last year, right? And then this year he comes out and he's the, the team's best player. 
I mean, him and Jeffrey Pena were leading the team in everything. And uh, it really, really hurt because now you got a kid over there, Lex Bodeker, who I think is going to have a great career at UCF. But he's a young kid, man. He doesn't have the experience and that, you know, the, the just the, the ability to slow himself down like a Nick Romano has. And, uh, you know, it, it, that hurts a lot. I mean, because he's that middle-of-the-bat guy, that that veteran presence in the infield with a bunch of young dudes in the infield half the time. And, you know, it, it it's it hurts a lot for that and and I know that kid is he is he's tore up I talked to him the other day and you know we 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 talked for a little while and I talked to his dad and you know they're 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 in good spirits but it's it's a tough it's a tough blow and I know it's funny coach Lovelady asked me he's like all right I need a power hit in first baseman I'm like what are you looking at me for? Like, you got any eligibility left? I'm like no I don't have any I, I ain't playing anymore this body I mean first base is probably the only spot I could play these days, but, uh, you know, I, I got nothing left, but it, it's a huge blow to lose that kid. He's such a good kid and was playing really, really well this year. All right. I got a word for you for the weekend. Razzmatazz. Right. Let's, uh, oh, let me hear you, work <laughs> oh. you got time to think about it. You got some games to broadcast. Well, you got some well, time the, there. The problem is I think I'm only doing Saturday this weekend. So, I mean, I got one game to try to fit that in. I mean, that's, I mean, somebody's got to really screw something up. I mean, like it's got to be. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean that maybe we name somebody's new pitch. Maybe the maybe that's. I think I might have just found out. I mean, Connor Stain's fastball. They're calling it the Razzmatazz these days. I like you it. Know. I mean, see, I like just it. Mix that in there and see what we got. You that heard works. it here on the Sons of UCF Live, Stephen. We appreciate you joining us again this week, and uh, have a good weekend of uh, UCF baseball. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks, Dave. All right. How about uh, softball? Uh, 24th ranked Knights beat up on Ohio State, the UCF Knights, 23 and 7 now, 12th straight win. Jada Cody, NCAA leading 41st RBI. They've got Furman in a doubleheader Saturday and then again on Sunday. At some point, we're going to have to bring uh, Eric Lopez in to talk a little bit UCF softball uh, coming up, uh, conference play. So maybe we'll get him in for an appearance on the Sons of UCF Live. Uh, we got some mailbag questions. We got some walk and talks this week as well, don't we? Let's uh, roll the first one, Adam. Yeah, we got two of these. So uh, buckle up, kids. Here you go. Hey, Sons of UCF, two letters, two words here. Out on the West Coast, great California, with a question that had me thinking. If UCF could have one regular team to play from the West Coast, what team would you choose? USC, UCLA, or to be? Walk and talk if he's on the, the rolling sidewalk <laughs> and not, he's just rolling. <laughs> I don't think that's a walk and talk. Uh, Robert. A, um, a rolling talk? Yeah, I don't know. Rolling talk. Yeah, what do you got? What do you got? Uh, West Coast, uh, Oregon. Yeah, I had advanced notice for this question, obviously. So SoCal is such a it's such a congested area. I mean, USC, UCLA would be nice. Oh, was San it Diego California or West Coast? Was the question California? It said West Coast. Or West Coast. So I'm 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 working my way up the coast here. San Diego is beautiful to visit, Trace. I know you've been there. San Diego is a really nice place to visit. I think Oregon may be the choice too, but I don't know where you define West Coast at because I wouldn't mind a little Colorado in there too. I know you've been to Colorado State's new stadium, Trace. I wouldn't yeah. mind a little Colorado in there. So I guess give me Oregon, San Diego, Colorado in that order. Man, that was a great walk and talk or roll and talk, whatever. Robert, I love that hat and everything. But uh, for me, it's USC. I mean, that's the, the program with the most history. You know, they go back forever. So that that's the traditional program. Give me a, a couple games out in California. I've never been to California myself. I'd love to go. So that'd be a fun trip. 
I think I'm going to revise my answer and think selfishly with family in Denver and San Diego, Colorado, Colorado State and San Diego State. We got another one. Walk and talk. We do a, a new uh, our first time here. First time, long time. Hey, this is Dakaya Knight coming to you live from the bounce house on my way to see UCF baseball against Miami. Got my uh, questions for Sons of UCF live this week. First one, why do you think Terry Mohajer hates anthracite? Do you think color gray did something to him at some point? And secondly, will Tommy Gunn be the greatest quarterback in UCF history or just the best quarterback in UCF history. Let me know. I like it. I like it. There. He really, he really made you wait for that. Yeah, he made two. you wait for that second one for sure. Yeah, the anticipation built up. I think folks um, are so, finding out not so easy to do. But we appreciate <laughs> the, the camera was the right. It was the right way though, Trace. I mean, you got yeah, to as that. some like to point out on Twitter. <laughs> That's right. Um, it didn't say UCF. It didn't say FCU on it. FCU. <laughs> Um, so uh, Timo, I don't know anything about childhood trauma. Um, if I had to guess, my two guesses would be either a, he just wants to do something different, put his own stamp on this thing, right? That was a Danny away. It's Scott Frost thing. So maybe in the new guy comes up with something new or B maybe something in the contract with Nike, maybe only a certain number of jerseys we're allowed to have or colors or something. Uh, I, I don't know. If there's any deep seated uh, issue with, um, uh, with, with Timo and the anthracite. Yeah, and they'll slow down a little bit on this Tommy Gunn. I mean, it's been two practices. I, I'm I'm gonna root for the kid too. If he's just, like I said earlier in the show, if he's gonna be a superstar, I'm all for it. I want the best player to give us the best chance of winning. But two practices, calm down a little bit. I think Mike. Wow, strange. Tamping down reckless speculation. What? Wow. Come on now. I, mean, I do like what we're hearing about Castellanos, maybe. though, right? You like what you're hearing from players about him, and you feel good about him down the line. Yeah, I like that. They, everybody says he's got the confidence. He's got the swagger. He's a playmaker. He can do things with his feet. So I think maybe down the road, we will see him be the guy. I'm just saying, let's wait at least until spring is over and, and hype it up maybe in the fall. At S. Morrow, Scott asked, do you think it's possible UCF turned down a CBI invitation before the committee announced the field? I asked uh, the sports information director for men's basketball that today, and he said, uh, never received an invite. This, of course, despite uh, other schools with lesser records, FAU and there amongst the teams in the Daytona Beach CBI tournament. Uh, no invite. I mean, he may know better than I. I thought some of these other tournaments, Trace, you had to pay to play in. Meaning I you believe have to the CBI and that other one, uh, whatever. And one, that, yeah, uh, that other yeah. vaunted one, right? So perhaps either A, we didn't want to have to pay to play in a tournament. And B, I mean, to be fair, we were a team that was, you know, really banged up, right? Brandon Mayhan probably wasn't really going to play against Memphis. Isaiah Adams was out anyway. It's Xavier Rhodes, Harley knew you. So, I mean, our, our team was already pretty depleted. It probably made some sense to just call it a season, not fork over some money and uh, let some guys get healthy. This may be a case of, you know, you're not going to ask the girl out that you know is going to say no to you. I mean, the CBI may be new. UCF had wanted no part in it, and they just didn't even bother inviting them. But it is a local tournament. You would think in Daytona it would make sense to invite UCF, right? You'd figure you'd probably get a, a better turnout for the games. So uh, it's a little questionable. I'm glad we're not in that thing. I wouldn't watch it anyway. 
<laughs> so, so you're glad they're not in it, but they should have invited them, so you could have ignored it. <laughs> I think it's what right. you said. <laughs> yes. uh, at uh, Mary Ashbaugh 6, uh, one of her questions, she sent in a couple. Thank you, Mary, for that. What are your feelings on how uh, UCF football defense is looking? Uh, you know, spring camp just underway. We do have some question marks. We talked about it leading up to the start of spring camp. Yeah, I mean, linebacker is really the uh, the position that we have to kind of understand who we have, who's going to kind of take over. Um, we expect, um, you know, JJB will be that guy in the middle, but who's going to kind of be that that second linebacker? Secondary should be strong. I mean, everyone's coming back from last year. Those guys played really well. There is some influx on the line. Uh, Lee Hunter coming in. So I'd say I feel good about the defense. There are a couple of question marks, but um, I think overall, you know, there's a lot of a lot of positive coming back from last year. I really want to see who's going to step up into that leadership role that Big Cat had last year, the vocal guy, you know, the Shaquem Griffin, the guy that everybody rallies around on defense. But I think talent-wise, we're going to be okay. And they, they got better as the season went on last year. I expect them to keep improving. See a uh, comment from Robert there earlier. Robert, since you're watching, question for you. Was that one take on the uh, stroll there? Uh, and were you self-conscious as all like J.P. Gilbert was when he did one of these walk and talks uh, as you were in the airport there? At uh, Brian W. Peterson, he's asking, craziest thing you'll possibly see or hear from UCF football during spring football practice? A starter named, transfer in or out, new coach, Twitter name on jerseys, new hire, anything. I think what's been most interesting are the comments that you get from players about the other players. And it's also sometimes what they, they don't say uh, that is perhaps most interesting. I don't think we'll hear anything crazy though. Craziest thing is um, Obarski is going to break Gus's windshield with an errant uh, field goal try. That's probably the craziest thing in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I don't need anything crazy to go on. I, last off season was crazy enough. We had a new AD, a new coach, all that stuff. Let's just have a regular normal spring uh, season and let the coaches figure things out going into the fall. I'm with you. Regular and normal and no injuries and uh, just get in all those practices and all that learning. At Fear of the Pegasus, would you rather have the unstoppable offense, 50-plus points per game? Or? Or the smothering <laughs> defense, which is 15 points a game. I think we already saw this, right? Isn't this Josh Heupel right here? So would you rather have Heupel's offense at 50 points a game or essentially the defense we had last year? Um, give me the defense. I mean, the offense is fine, and, and sure, you love to score touchdowns and score points, but nothing better than stopping a team when you need a big stop, making a big play, getting a big hit. Uh, it's, it's, it's awesome. Obviously, offense puts butts in seats, but I'll, I'll take the defense versus the offense. Yeah, for years when we had O'Leary, everybody was craving that wild offense that we finally got with Frost and Heupel. But defense wins championships in every sport all the time. If the other team can't score, they you can't lose, right? So give me that strong, top-notch defense every time. He's might, he might uh, be right about that. At uh, G Cupcake 17, first-time question, what would you like to see is uh, – who would you like to see as UCF football's captains for this season? Got to be Sam Jackson, right? We got to see yeah, Sam, what Sam I like was, about yeah. it is the players vote on it. So yeah. I, I view that as a great deal of respect that when the players are voting on the person and certainly if you're in camp, Mikey Keene, you want to see him named as one of the captains. Yeah, I think Sam was there and Mike and I went to school. So I assume Sam Jackson, <laughs> uh, Alex Ward, I think was a freshman and Mike and I were there as well. So I assume Alex Ward will be a captain. <laughs> give me a defensive guy. So give me Devod Wilson um, as maybe that vocal guy on defense. And I think he saved that last spot for the quarterback. So, um, it, my assumption would be Mikey Keene. So give me, give me Mikey Keene in that fourth spot. Yeah. It's going to say a lot. If Keene is the captain of the team, like you said, the players do vote on it. Now, if Tommy, we call him Tommy gun. Now 
Tommy Castellanos comes out and earns that spot. Is he going to be named captain as a true freshman? I don't know about that. So um, I don't know. It's up to the players, and we're not in the locker room every day. It, it could be some guys, some names you never heard. Or any day. At UCF Farmer Scott, whose Twitter handle I can never say correctly, at Sadis Rockers, would it be considered collusion if UCF, Cincinnati, Houston banded together to share scouting and film information so they could squash the rest of the AAC in retaliation for the uh, reported $45 million early exit fee? I, I can't see it ever happening, uh, so I don't think it'll be collusion, right? I don't think they need to share film to squash the rest of the AAC. I think those are probably the their three top teams anyway. So I don't know that they need to share any film uh, to make that happen. But I mean, it would be interesting to see if there's something collectively they can do. I just don't know how that works out. They're all in different financial positions. You know, they all have different interests and they have different things that they're going after. You'd love to see some form of a, a unionization there, but I don't. I just don't see how that works logistically. Yeah, I think Houston, if I have it right, the same schedule as last year. They don't play UCF or Cincinnati in the regular season. So, I mean, it doesn't really matter to them. And if the championship game is between two of these three teams again, uh, that's bad news for the American. And they are the best team. So I expect it to be that way. Uh, first time question from at Bulls, a couple of U's, a lot of L's, a fun follow, actually. He makes a great deal of fun of uh, Cow College over in Tampa asking, is it better to return the vast majority of a bad team or half of a good team asking for a friend you don't know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess half of a good team, um, because at least in that configuration, half of your players are good and the other configuration, most of them are bad. So I guess I wasn't a math major at UCF, but I guess I'm going to go with half of the good team over all of the bad team. Yeah, I think every year Phil Steele puts out his magazine and a big thing he puts towards the next season, how many returning starters you have. Well, the Cows have a lot of guys. They had their whole team coming back, but that team sucked last year. So, you know, I'm glad they have the same guys coming back. Maybe they'll be a little bit better. So what, they get maybe three, four wins tops this year? You know, they like to brag about being second, but this week they got a distinction of being first with the most misery between their football and basketball programs. I think it was the Sporting News survey. So they're number one. Right in that. Let's end with our friend at Austin Heff with a good question here. Stranded on an island, you can only watch one UCF highlight tape of uh, one UCF athlete. Whose tape are you watching? I didn't see this answer as people replied to him on Twitter. It's got to be Dante Culpepper. Mike, you know, you put together the March Madness bracket. How difficult is it to find highlights? And we lived through that. We watched it. I would love to go back and watch full games uh, and people that are saying McKenzie, we've seen a lot of McKenzie. I'd love to go back and watch the Dante games. Yeah. They're hard to find. There's a couple of them out there, but the other thing with Dante though, is we didn't win any of the big ones. I mean, we got a lot of great individual plays. Yeah. He runs over a guy in Nebraska, scores a touchdown. He, you know, there's a couple other big plays, but McKenzie, a lot of people are picking him because I mean, it was a magical ride, man. 2017, how many touchdowns did he score that year? How many touchdowns did he throw? So that, I think that's a big answer. I didn't see too many people reply with Kevin Smith because that year he had in 2007 mm. was incredible. Every every time he touched the ball was a highlight. So uh, we're being, we've been blessed that there's so many guys to pick from, actually. Is it just football? Yeah, what about basketball? How about, how about Bo Clark? You guys like to talk about Bo Clark, a previous guest. JP on, Turner just oh, turned over wherever he's sleeping right now. JP Turner just turned, or, or Gilbert rather turned over to his grave. Calvin Lingelbach. But um, <laughs> how about this, this weekend, 
Uh, Jason Arnold is throwing out the first pitch. Adam was there when I was there. We used to go watch that guy throw. Hey, give me some highlights of him. He was throwing gas. Nobody could touch him. It's him and Justin Pope. What a magical season they put together. Throwing out a first pitch with Kelly Slater, the surfer. That's right. A unique combo there. We've been talking, we started off talking about quarterbacks and uh, John Rice Plumley. You had the ultimate UCF two-sport athlete on uh, D Brown. You pulled that one out of the vault for this week's Suns episode number 173. If you haven't heard it, it's new to you, Trace. Yeah, we had a chance to catch up with D Brown. He was obviously a, uh, a man amongst boys on the football uh, field, but probably even a better baseball player ended up getting drafted in baseball. Uh, a two-sport guy, Hall of Famer at UCF, um, and uh, the, the son of the late Jerome Brown. So he had a really interesting story about his journey and growing up with sports and deciding between football and baseball. Um, it makes you wonder what guys today would do if you had that choice, right? If you had to choose between football and baseball, where would people go these days? But uh, it was a good uh, you know, conversation. Uh, and you know, Mike and I try to find ways to bring these back as much as we can. So hopefully you, you guys enjoy hearing from D Brown. You don't get to see it very often. Guys playing two sports. We kind of got robbed of it this year with uh, Plumley. So uh, not often does it happen and not often – is that guy a Hall of Famer in one of these sports? And that's what D. Brown is, an incredible athlete, and the guy could mash at the plate. That interview held up really well. There was only one slightly dated reference to it happening during the early days of COVID when you were quarantined and not leaving your home. I think, Mike, you made that reference. Other than that, it all stands up. And who knew? Two years later, we'd still be talking about COVID. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, those were some fun times. It was funny when I go back and I go through those shows, typically I, there's a rhythm for like, hey, we talk for 45 minutes about a topic and then the guest comes on. D Brown was on at like minute 20 and I couldn't figure out why. It's because we had nothing else to talk about. We literally were like, hey, so <laughs> no my son was out, Mike, and you went to UCF too? Yes, yeah, so did I. And so like minute 20, we were bringing on a guest. So that, that tells you how lean the content time was back then. <laughs> hey, our first few shows were only 40 minutes all together. And now we're putting together two-hour shows on Monday. We got an hour live show here. Every once in a while, we'll throw a Twitter space together. I mean, we're doing a lot of work here. So every once in a while, we'll put in an old interview and save us some time on a Monday night. And <laughs> save us some time. That's the <laughs> behind the scenes. That's how the rundown yeah. comes together. Yeah. Let's save That's some fair. time. Uh, guys, it's been fun. We we uh, got to chat with the uh, future mayor of the city of Orlando and B.J. Taylor. Helped put it all together for us on basketball this season and Stephen Branco with baseball. Good luck to women's basketball with a deep run in the NSA tournament. And we thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Sons of UCF Live. For Adam and Mike, I'm Trace. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everyone. Go Knights. Charge. Charge on. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.